0: palms up here on the ground, which we'll be using later, and to explain all of that to you, we have Brie Prose is going to be speaking today. She has an awesome message. She shared it with me ahead of time, and I know it's good, so we're going to pray for her really quick, and then she's going to tell us all about it. So Father, we just pray that you'd bless Bree, that you'd speak through her words, and then just fill her with your spirit, Lord, and open our ears to hear in Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning. It's um, a blessing to be here with you on Palm Sunday. Um, it's a really special day. It's a glorious day in the Bible because it's the first day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he's recognized as king and he's recognized rightly as king. Um, and so today's message is called Jesus is King. Um, so <laughs> that was the, the clearest, easiest, you know, simplest title I could go with. But um Yeah, so I'm excited to share with you a little bit how Palm Sunday is a puzzle piece that fits perfectly right in the middle, connecting um, so much of the story in the Bible. Um, So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Matthew 21, um, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So we see... Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah nine that says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you might be thinking to yourself, why a donkey? Like, why is he riding on a donkey? What does that mean? Um, so arriving on a donkey is a symbol of um, the king arriving in peace instead of arriving in war. So he's not coming to fight. He's not coming um, in the spirit of war but in the spirit of peace into um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Um, and the story keeps going. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Why palm branches? Why Why were they cutting branches and spreading them on the road? And um, the Lewis's, it made me think of you, because You look back in Leviticus 2340, and this is from the Feast of Tabernacles, which you guys taught us about, which is awesome. Um, So the palm branches are a token of joy and triumph. Um, They were supposed to be used on the first day for the Feast of Tabernacles to gather the branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, boughs from leafy trees, and willows that grow by the streams. And then the people were to celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. So keep this in mind that the palm branches are a symbol of joy, the symbol of his triumph, of the king coming victorious and in peace on Palm Sunday. Um, so it's it's one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus, um, I think, in the New Testament. So keep that, keep that in your back pocket. Let's go on with the story. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. Some other translations say what we all know of Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest heaven. What does Hosanna mean? Um, I think it's a hard one to remember because I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Um, Hosanna actually means save now in Greek. It means rescue or savior. So what they're saying is save us um, and they're, they're recognizing him again from the Old Testament, from the Psalms. In Psalm one, eighteen, twenty-six, 26, it says, Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So they're looking in the Old Testament. They're recognizing these symbols, and they're applying them to Jesus um, as he comes in on Palm Sunday. Um, every gospel actually has this story in it. Uh, so you can find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you look in uh, John's version, you also see them say, Hail to the King of Israel, uh, which is really, really cool um, that you you see the Jewish people recognizing him like that. Uh, in our study of Revelation, David Pawson is talking about how, you know, usually we see the irony of them labeling Jesus on the cross as the King of the Jews, um, but that he did it, you know, it actually was correct, you know. The, the irony that they didn't realize it, those people didn't, but that it was the correct label for him. Um, so recognizing him as king makes all the difference. It, it really does. So the story doesn't end on Palm Sunday. We see it continue um, when he is welcomed again as king, coming. Um, Jesus himself is talking to a crowd and to his disciples in Matthew 23 where he's grieving for Jerusalem. And at the end of the chapter, he says in verse 39, For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is exactly what the people said to him on Palm Sunday morning. Um, And again, that reference from Psalm 118. So you see that connection all the way through the Bible. And it it really is beautiful. Um, This is the Maranatha cry. It actually fits exactly why we've named our church that. Um, and it, it helps us in our, in our calling, in our prayers to him. Come, Lord. You have come. You are coming. Please come. Um, we see palm branches in the Old Testament used to celebrate the faithfulness of God. We see them used to welcome Jesus as king on Palm Sunday. And we see them used again in the throne room of heaven um, in Revelation. So if we look there in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John is talking to one of the 24 elders in the throne room. Um, About who the martyrs are uh, who are, are celebrating. And it says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. So they've got their palm branches and they're celebrating. It's with joy and with triumph that they recognize Jesus in that moment um, after they've come from and out of the tribulation. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, of course, we don't know when any of this will be. Jesus says, only the Father knows in Matthew 24, 36. Um, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Um, Jesus will come again, and on the second coming he will be on a white horse, so it will be, it will be um, the steed of war against his enemies and his victory will be final then. Revelation 19:11 is when you see him come. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Um, On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So how do we... Welcome him as king. How do we serve him as king? And how do we respond um, to him in this life, recognizing him as king over everything? Um, I have a poem I'd love to share with you that's written by Ann Voskamp that has really moved me and I feel like um, speaks to this very thing. She says, the truth is, after a brutal year, I have decided I do not simply believe in Jesus. I am done with that life mainly because it turned out to be guttingly empty and hollow, and frankly, not enough. After nearly a year of navigating a global pandemic, lockdowns, border closures, economic upheaval, political, cultural, and church divisiveness and polarization, this is where I find myself landing. I do not believe in Jesus. I live in Jesus. In this polarized war over what is truth, what is reality, what is identity, what is Christianity, what is evangelicalism, what is wrong, what is right, what is left, all I've got left is this. Jesus is not a belief to me. He is breath to me. He is not some theory, but all my gravity, not a lens for my life, but he is my life. The triune God is not one sphere of some multidimensional life. He is atmosphere, terra, lung, the only way not to suffocate in self. We aren't good news evangelical Christians if we believe that Christianity is only the mental ascent of faith in Jesus without requiring the lived allegiance of faithfulness to Jesus. The gospel of truth is that believing in Jesus is being saved by a faith that is committed to a life of faithfulness. It's a covenantal faithfulness of Christ alone that saves us, and we respond to his saving faithfulness by covenanting our own faithfulness to him. And just because we will be faithless doesn't mean that it is less important that we commit ourselves to reorienting ourselves back toward faithfulness. Real Christians aren't merely believers. Real Christians are actually faithful followers. Right? Yeah, I just, I I love the contrast that she uses between the mental belief that Jesus, you know, you believe that he's real and he exists and that he's king and all of that. Or if you actually live faithfully following him, it's a completely different reality for your life. Um, I hope it changes how you think of Jesus when you picture him on the donkey coming as king versus the white horse coming as king. Um, and one of my favorite books is, uh, C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And Peter, they haven't met Aslan yet, and he says, I'm longing to see him, even if I do feel a bit frightened when it comes to the point. (laughs) So I know that that sometimes is how we should feel. I think that's right about how we should feel about Jesus, um, that we should long for him, but we should recognize that he is, he's king. He's the king, um. So on Palm Sunday, we recognize Jesus as king, and what do we do next? Um, We serve him with gladness all our days, yes, watching and waiting for his return. Um, Like the parable he tells in Matthew 25 about the ten virgins, we want to be ready. Um, For you kids, I always kind of thought this was a funny story because the virgins don't share the oil for their lamps, Five of them have enough oil and five of them don't. And I was like, man, why don't they share? You know, that's not very good sharing. Um, <laughs> but actually what Jesus is saying is that the oil is you making yourself ready, being faithful, being, being ready and watching, and not just going about your life with an empty lamp. Um, and I think it's the same as that mental ascent versus that faithful following. Um, I love this. What comes under the authority of the king? Everything in the kingdom, right? And where is the kingdom? Everywhere the king reigns. So if we think about Jesus as king, he is authority over everything and everywhere because he, he, he gets that authority, and he's given it in, uh, in Psalm 110. If you want to look at that, thanks Jeff and Steph show, The Be- Better Beautiful. You should check it out. Um, But brothers and sisters in Christ, we either choose to live in his kingdom or in the kingdom of self. We either give ourselves to service in this life in his kingdom or we serve ourselves. We follow Jesus' example. His life during the week before crucifixion is a perfect picture. I would challenge all of you to go back in the gospel, pick whichever one you want. And then read what happens to him the week before the crucifixion um, this week as we're moving through Holy Week. As Jesus sets his sights on the cross and becomes our servant, may we this week renew our allegiance to our king. Dedicate ourselves to picking up our crosses and following Jesus in his servanthood to mankind and his obedience to the Father. Let us serve our king. May we be faithful followers. If you never read the Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person by E. Stanley Jones last fall, please read it because that book is is fantastic. If you really want to kind of shift your mental focus and thinking about what the kingdom is and what it's like, um, because it matters to us as Christians and believers. Um, If you haven't read John Stott's book, The Radical Disciple, which is coming up, uh, the meeting for that I think is like next week, maybe. Yeah, he has this quote in the preface. He says, "Because Jesus is Lord." We have no right to pick and choose the areas in which we submit to his authority. I thought that was really cool. Um, if you didn't read The Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge, I'm going to spoil just the end for you. And he admonishes us in two ways at the, in the epilogue. I thought this was the perfect, the perfect way to sum up the Christian life and what do we do in this life. He says, hang on tight to Jesus we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews twelve two through 3, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So what does that mean? Jesus was obedient, and we are called to be obedient. Philippians 2, 8, it says he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And James four eleven says... But your job is to obey the law and not to judge whether or not it applies to you. Right? That one got me this week. So hang on tight to him. And the second thing that John Eldridge says is don't let suffering separate you from Jesus. Because we will suffer in this life. Right? Hang on tight and don't let the suffering separate you. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We will suffer and it will tempt us to feel anger, a loss of hope, mistrust, forsakenness. And Jesus knows how this feels. He asked God to take away his suffering so we can follow his example, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, he says, it says, He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus cried out on the cross, feeling forsaken in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, About 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We can see this all throughout the Psalms um, where people lament and grieve and call out to God and ask hard questions, and that is okay. We take our, our feelings to the Lord, and he can handle them all. Psalm 119 is my favorite um, to anchor myself if I'm feeling all of those deep cries. It says uh, in verse 68, you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees, right? And you might think, what does him being good have to do with his decrees? But we're called to be obedient, right? So if we know he's good and we can trust him in what he's doing, then teach me your decrees, God. The mental ascent to the reality of Jesus will not see you through suffering and death. Only the heart belief, only the covenantal faithfulness to Jesus will carry us through. Jesus warns about suffering to come in our lives in the last days in Matthew 24, verses 13 and 25. and Revelation and all throughout the Bible, we see the people of God being called to obey and being called to endure, right? So hang on tight, right? Don't let the suffering separate you from God. Psalm 27, 14 says, stay with God. This is the message version, (laughs) which I like. Stay with God. Take heart. Don't quit. Stay with God. All right? Um, So why does this matter? Um, Let me flip back. Sorry about that. There we go. Why does this matter? It matters because the truth is that you will see Jesus face to face one day. You will see him. And do you really believe that you will, that you'll look in his face, that he'll call your name? Um, I think that it will change everything when you see him like that, when you recognize that he is your king. John Eldridge also talks about um, the idea of when you meet him, what will you do? And so I'll ask you that question. Can you picture what you'll do when you see him? Um, I decided I think I'm probably just going to hug him. I really want a big hug. And I'll probably bawl my eyes out, and I imagine it will be the greatest moment of relief and joy I've ever experienced. Um, I'm a hugger. so Yeah, I I think recognizing Jesus um, as king and looking at what we're called to do and live in this life Um, makes all the difference for how we can move through it so at this time I'd love to ask all the kids to come up because I have a little story for you all and some palm branches and stuff so we'll get to those in just a second so if y'all want to come on up and sit right up here hey Dave right up here baby right in front of all the leaves right up there so I have a story I'm going to read to you all it's relatively short don't worry Okay. This is from um, C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian, and it is about following. Right? What is it like to follow? Sometimes it's hard to follow. Okay. So the characters in this story, you see Lucy. Do you, do you guys know this story? Lucy and Edmund, Susan and Peter. Yeah, they're all characters in this story. They're brothers and sisters, and they see Aslan. They see Aslan, um, the lion. They've seen him before, but they don't know if he's there now. Lucy says that she saw him, but they're not sure. They're kind of like, ah, oh, you didn't see him. Something was messing with your eyes. Y- you know, you, you got you to gotta look again. So Lucy then goes to bed, and then she wakes up and she sees him. So she runs out to go meet him. Okay? And she, it says, for a time she was so happy that she did not want to speak, but Aslan spoke. Lucy, he said, we must not lie here for long. You have work in hand, and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy. I saw you all right. They wouldn't believe me. They're all so. From somewhere deep inside Aslan's body, there came the faintest suggestion of a growl. I'm sorry, said Lucy, who understood some of his moods. I didn't mean to start slanging the others. But it wasn't my fault anyway, was it? The lion looked straight into her eyes. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, you don't mean it was. How could I? I couldn't have left the others and come up to you alone, could I? Don't look at me like that. Oh, well, I suppose I could. And yes, it wouldn't have been alone, I know. Not if I was with you. But what would, it have, what would have been the good? Aslan said nothing. You mean, said Lucy, rather faintly, um, that it would have turned out all right somehow? But how? Please, Aslan, am I not to know? "'To know what would have happened, child,' said Aslan. "'No, nobody has ever told that.' "'Oh, dear,' said Lucy. "'But anyone can find out what will happen,' said Aslan. "'If you go back to the others now and wake them up "'and and tell them you have seen me again "'and that you must all get up at once and follow me, "'what will happen? There is only one way to find out.' "'Do you mean that that is what you want me to do?' gasped Lucy. "'Yes, little one,' said Aslan. Will the others see you too, asked Lucy. Certainly not at first, said Aslan. Later on, it depends. Oh, but they won't believe me, said Lucy. It doesn't matter, said Aslan. Oh, dear, oh, dear, said Lucy, and I was so pleased at finding you again, and I thought you'd let me stay, and I thought you'd come roaring in and frighten all the enemies away like last time, and now everything is going to be horrid. (laughs) It is hard for you, little one, said Aslan, but things never happen the same way twice. It has been hard for us all in Narnia before now. Lucy buried her head in his mane to hide his face, Uh, hide from his face, I'm sorry, but there must have been magic in his mane. She could feel lion strength going into her. Quite suddenly, she sat up. I'm sorry, Aslan, I'm ready now. Now you are a lioness, said Aslan, and now all Narnia will be renewed, but come, we have no time to lose. He got up and walked with stately, noiseless paces back to the belt of dancing trees through which she had just come, and Lucy went with him, laying a rather tumultuous uh, hand on his mane. The trees parted to let them through and for one second assumed their human form completely. Lucy had a glimpse of tall and lovely wood gods and wood goddesses all bowing to the lion. The next moment, they were trees again, still bowing with such graceful sweeps of branch and trunk that their bowing was itself a kind of dance. Now, child," said Aslan, when they had left the trees behind them, "I will wait here. Go wake the others and tell them to follow. If they will not, then you at least must follow me alone." Okay. So the hard part is is that sometimes we have to follow alone when people won't won't come with us. Um, but I am going to tell you that Lucy's brothers and sisters go with her so she doesn't have to go by herself with Aslan, which is great. And another cool part about that story is that the trees all bow for Aslan. Isn't that cool? That's right. He's the king. You already knew that story? I love it. You listened to it? I love it. Okay. You have a huge book of it? Yeah. I love that book. So, you can all grab some palm branches. There's plenty for everybody. And then we're, would you guys help me say the Lord's Prayer? Yeah? Great. I'm going to walk down there with you all. So, Jesus says, from the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called forth your praise in Matthew 21, verse 16. And he's referencing Psalms 8:2, which says, you taught children and infants to tell of your strength or to give you praise. So, I thought it would be a great way to, before we close with a, a really special song, um, for all the kids, you guys can celebrate with joy with these palm fronds, but we're going we're gonna to say the Lord's Prayer and declare his, declare his praise together. All right, anybody know the Lord's Prayer? Who knows it? You know it. You know it. Anybody else know it? No? All right, it's up on the screen if you guys uh, need help. Dave, you want to help me? Come on. Calvin, you want to help me?